Uh, good morning, everybody. My name's Josh. I'm Pastor Josh. Uh, actually, feels a little weird being upstairs. Let me just throw that out there. Some, there's people here that probably don't even know who I am. Um, I don't miss a Sunday very often, but if you have kids, I know who your kids are. Um, I'm normally downstairs uh, with the kids and we are... Uh, social distancing. Um, we do have kids to go to this church. They're downstairs, and we actually worship downstairs together. So I've been worship leader, sort of, and pastoring to the kids downstairs. So sitting up here and letting Dusty lead worship for a change was really nice. Let me just throw that out there. Not that I carry a tune very well anymore or anything like that, but uh, it, it is just a great... Um, if you are a guest here today, uh, welcome. Welcome to Light and Light Church. We uh, welcome our virtual uh, community extending all reaches of the world today too. Um, so today's message is going to be on good intentions. Um, we started a community series last week. Uh, Amy kind of started us off and I think my, uh, my sermon hopefully will tack onto that a little bit. But when I think about good intentions, um, this may not be what you would consider a community series or part of a community sermon, but this is just what uh, God really laid on my heart. And when I think about good intentions, I think about kids. I know uh, how I was as a kid. My parents would say, oh, I need you to do dot, dot, dot. I need you to empty the trash. So what happens? I pick up the trash. If some trash falls on the floor, oh, well, I picked up the trash. I cinch it. I take it outside. I did my part. Now, I may not have put a bag back in the trash bag. You didn't ask me to do that. You asked me to take the trash outside, right? That's good intentions. Um, I know with my kids... It happens all the time. We'll say sweep the floor. And what happens? They'll sweep the floor, sweep around, sweep around, sweep around. Well, did you move that? Well, no, you didn't ask me to move that. Well, that's part of the floor. Like anything attached to the floor, right, is part of the floor. But unless we're very specific, they don't necessarily get it. And I think that's what we do when we think about good intentions. We give an effort. Unfortunately, normally it's about eh, a half an effort. Sometimes you might even consider a good intention is a lie, whether we're telling it to ourselves or someone else. And I think as adults, we do this at home also. We do this in our adult life, and I just wrote down a few things here. At least I got drunk at home last night. I didn't get drunk somewhere else, which right now most of the bars are closed anyway, so you wouldn't have a choice. At least I changed a diaper while you were gone. At least I paid something on my cell phone bill, even if I didn't pay the whole thing. Still might get shut off. At least I called home and said I was going to be late. Doesn't mean the hurt of not showing up still isn't there. At least I called. And the last one, at least I try to be a good Christian. Come to church sometimes. I, just give, my, I give my spare change to the offering plate or to the missions. You know, I was in uh, Dollar General this morning, and there was a little metal sign right there. Um, somebody had a house fire, I'm guessing. I don't know. I didn't even read the sign. And I said, yeah, throw, throw that. you can throw my change in there. Is that really a, an intention, though? Or was it just a little bit of an effort? And really, that's what we're going to talk about today, because that's part of community. The effort we give in community is the effort we give to those people in our lives and the, the people we interact with every day. So I want to get away from just good intentions. You know, I think that effort is really subpar to what we're supposed to do in community, what we're supposed to do in our, our family and our lives. You know, when we get to heaven, we sit on the judgment seat. Do we really want to look at God and say, well, at least I tried, God. Like, give me credit. I don't think that's good enough. 
And unfortunately, these attempts are a direct reflection on our character. Because most of the time, what I do on the outside is mirroring how I feel inside. Whether it's I want to see someone or really don't want to, or whatever I'm doing. So I want to break down good intentions. I apologize that there is not a You'll have to use your imagination. Um, I don't have a PowerPoint or anything today. But um, so a good attention, good. Definition I found of good is to be desired or find approval of. Easy enough. Intention, an idea that you plan. So my definition of good intentions is this. An idea that you plan that is either desired or searching the approval of someone else. And I think when we think about whose approval we're going for, oftentimes that's our motivation. Is it something internal? Is it from God? Or is it, well, I have to call Aunt Jo because she's old and I have to just call her. And I'm doing it for her, but I'm not really doing it based in the love that I feel for her. But before we jump too far, I do want to read um, out of Luke 18. And this is what Jesus has to say about us being good. So once uh, there was a religious leader that asked Jesus a question, good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit, inherit, wow, inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus stopped them and said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked them, only God is truly good. He goes on, the man replied, you know, I've obeyed all the commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard us, he answered, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very wealthy. I'm going to jump into 26. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved if this man who followed all the commandments can't be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible for God. And Peter said, we left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that anyone who has given up house, wife, brothers, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. So Jesus uh, was approached in, in the time of the, Old, uh, the New Testament. You know, it was a lot about just what service you did, you know, giving the right amounts and saying the right prayers, etc. And Jesus kind of came onto the scene and said, no, this is a hard issue. We need to get a whole lot deeper. So when we go around, go around and we're doing the right, good Christmas thing, doing the right, good Christian thing, what is our heart? Because Jesus said, you know what? Only God is good. He's the standard. If we're not lining up with what God says is good... It's like sand in your hand, just passing through. So Jesus' Jesus's view that only God is good. We need to hand over everything to him. So today's goals, well, you're like, wow, he hasn't even mentioned community yet. Where are we going here? Um, but today we are going to talk about community. And I'm going to focus on three areas of community. And really one of those I'm going to hit hard. I'm going to talk about community with yourself. Because I think oftentimes, we don't ever think about community with ourselves. It's community serving, community with others. But community really needs to start with ourselves. Because if we're not in community with ourselves and God, what really worldly good are we going to be? Amen. We're going to touch on community with our family and hit community with our church just a little bit uh, near the end. Oh. <laughs> in self, we find relationship with God. 
God is communal. We find this in the, uh, from Genesis, um, with, in the first chapter of Genesis. The plural of God is there. So there was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit from the beginning. We also see this transcend all throughout Scripture to today. You know, we are living, and if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. So we want to make sure that we are mirroring the life of Christ in our everyday lives, how we deal with ourselves, how it feels when I look in the mirror. The first part of the journey is finding community with our, within ourselves in Jesus and being in an actual relationship with him. You know, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. But then it goes on, and this is Matthew 6, 33 and 34. I don't know if I gave, might not have given Richard that one. Um, but it says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of our own troubles. So the Bible actually promises us that if I give everything to God, he has me. And oftentimes we don't read that second part that says, no, why worry about tomorrow? I have tomorrow for you. Worry and focus in on right now, today. So I feel that God desires more than just our good intentions because our good intentions are often based on selfish desires and not God's directions. You see, God desires it all. So when we don't release everything, how can, what kind of community are we really living in? And I think that's part of the problem in our society. That's part of the problem in our churches. A lot of us carry hurt. We're a community full of hurt and broken people trying to love on each other while hiding the hurt that we still have inside. So there are many stories in the Bible where we learn about good intentions versus God's direction. And I could read the whole chapter of 1 Samuel 15, but I'm not going to. It's there. I recommend you read it for yourself. But I'm going to talk about King Saul for just one second. Well, it's going to take longer than a second because that's the whole chapter. But um, chapter 15 in, uh, in 1 Samuel is the story of King Saul near the end of when he loses favor with God. So it says, uh, God says, I've decided to settle an account with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Israel. Now go completely destroy the entire nation. I want men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Now, I'll tell you as a, as a 20th century, 21st century person, I read this and I'm like, wow, God, that's a little, like, like babies are in there and kids are in there and people are in there and animals are in there. Like, how does that work out? I, my mind has, struggles with that. And when I researched a little bit more, those same people were actually taking children and sacrificing them on a very, very, very hot, sculpturing metal statue, and they just melted. So God's saying, hey, I'm taking my kids back. It's actually an act of mercy more than it's an act of judgment. So not to go there, but we just went there. <laughs> so Saul mobilized his army. Saul was king. Saul was chosen to lead the Israelites. Saul's like, okay, I have this. God's on my back. So Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best sheep and the goats, the cattle, the cows, and the lamb. In fact, they kept everything that appealed to them, and they destroyed all the bad stuff. So then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry I ever made King Saul king. Ouch. For he has not been loyal to me, and he refused to obey my commandment. 
So Samuel was deeply moved by this, and he cried out to the Lord. We're in 13. So when Samuel finally found Saul, Saul greeted him cheerily. So this is Saul's response. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's commands. Like Saul's like cloud nine, like probably drinking some wine, having a good time. We're about to have a party. <sighs> Unfortunately, Samuel or uh, Samuel's response wasn't the same. Because Samuel said, you know, it's true your army spared the sheep and the goats, Saul admitted. But then we were going to sacrifice them to the Lord. See, oftentimes that's what we do. You know, God will give us a direction in our heart. Maybe it's, you know what, I really want you to give to, just right now we have our Christmas family. So you say, okay, God, how much do you want to give? Well, I want you to give and you have an amount. Well, you know what, first I need to, I need to stop and get coffee at Sheets this morning. So after my coffee, I'll give whatever's left out of my wallet. Well, then you know what, I need gas and, well, the Powerball's kind of up, so... We go through our checklist of but, 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 but. And then whatever's left over, God, it's all yours. Yeah, look, I'm going up front. Here's my money. It's going in. And that's kind of what King Saul did. I did it for you, God. But actually, that wasn't what God asked. So in verse 20, it says, But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back the king, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my, my troops brought in the best to sacrifice to the Lord. But this is Samuel's reply. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to my voice? See, I think oftentimes God wants us to just obey him and be in relationship with him. More than he wants our physical act. You know what? Coming to church today is great. I'm welcome for everybody that can make it. But if you couldn't come to church today because, you know what, somebody was broken down on the side of the road and I got my Sunday best dirty helping them change a tire, I would say you're probably doing God's mission field more there than you are sitting here warming up our butts. He says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. In fact, submission is even better than an offering of the fat of rams. See, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, which was Adam's first sin rebellion. And stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Ouch. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So I'm going to read one more verse and it's in 24. This is uh, Saul's admittance to uh, Samuel. He says, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. I was afraid. The people did not want what they demanded. But now please forgive me and come back so I may worship. So notice we find that, uh, so King Saul has all of Israel. He was placed there by God, yet he feared the people that God put him in charge of. And because of his fear of man, he decided to disobey God. Now this is, you know, a big deal. It's a war, etc. But this happens in everyday lives for each of us. I know it does in my life. How often God will tell me to do something and I fear man. Well, I can't witness to them. I might get in trouble. Peer pressure. Ouch. That's all that is, peer pressure. And you know, and um, I'm a counselor, by the way. And in counseling, oftentimes we go of, we warn people. How can you mind read? 
Like, do you have a special talent or a gift or like, how does that work for you? Because I don't have that ability. So I can guess what somebody's going to say, but until I walk up to Amy and say, Hey Amy, you want to go out for lunch afterwards? I have to wait for her response. So we can guess, and we, when we guess, we put fears in our minds. We allow, you know, this laundry list of things to develop. So I'm going to say slow down. Because if God's asking you to do something, chances are you already played it out, right? If you do what I say, then I have you. So God requires more than your good intentions. Good intentions weren't good enough for King Saul, and they're not good enough for us. See, how did we define good intentions? Ideas that you plan that are the desires of someone else. Sounds like a lot of our excuses. But there are many reasons why we use good intentions. Unfortunately, many times they're, given, they're driven by fear and guilt. And I want to touch on fear and guilt just a little bit um, as we uh, unravel this. See, Saul was afraid of the people. He let fear guide his life. Saul's disobedience cost him everything. And most of the time when we disobey God... It doesn't cost us anything. It costs that person everything. Because if you are sending someone's life to witness to them, you may, they may have just lost their ticket to heaven because your fear. So that's why we're starting with self. We should deal with self every day. So we try not to repeat these mistakes. I find when I'm close to God, he's constantly showing myself how to be a better person. Sometimes it's in subtle ways, like little urges. Um, when I was younger, much younger, um, I, I wouldn't cuss. I grew up in the church, so I wouldn't cuss. And I still use the word cuss, which is probably showing that I don't cuss very often. Um, and so I wouldn't cuss. I would use slang, and I would use different words like, you know, SOB or whatever the word was that meant the same thing but wasn't technically swearing, so I wasn't sinning, right? That's how, you know, I rationalized it with God. And little subtle after little subtle reminder, God's eventually saying, you know what, Josh? Why don't you just stop? It doesn't mean anything. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm like, okay. And sometimes God deals with us in subtle ways. Sometimes God deals with us with a brick wall in front of us. And I remember when I was a kid, teenager, lying in bed, and I was, you know, thinking about the things that little boys think about um, to get yourself uh, happy at night. And... I remember reading my Bible the next day and I, I opened up the Bible where it said, you know, if you lust after a woman, it's the same as committing adultery in your heart. And sometimes God just brought that brick wall in front of me and said, ouch, okay, God, I get it. So sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's a lot more clear. We're all different thickness of heads. So some of us are stubborn in different ways and some, you know, I'll take something different. But unfortunately, many of us do not like to deal with ourselves. In life, there's four Four to five ways um, that we say we deal with, uh, with fear. Now, from a psychological perspective, they say there's four for today's purposes only. We're going to say five for, for what we have going on here. Uh, fight, flight, freeze, appease are the big four. Maybe you guys have heard of that. That's great. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. But in fight... We argue with it out. When we're talking about being fearful, whether it's with God, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your kids, we fight it out. No, you're wrong. I don't care what you say. All right? We're fighting our purpose, and we're going to see it through. Number two is flight, where we run, we avoid. There may be people here today that are still avoiding things from 15 years ago. 
especially around the holidays, we think about that. Well, I haven't talked to my brother in, fill in the blank, because one time so many years ago, I don't even remember what happened. We fight, we flight, or we run from things that is hurtful. Oh, freeze. We stop. And I think in churches, freeze is what's scary. Because not our church, but I'll tell you what, there's been churches that I've gone to that literally there is a butt print of the person that sits there week in, week out, every Sunday. And if you sit in their spot, I don't care if you're a guest, they would walk up and you say, excuse me, welcome to our church, but I'm sitting there, you got to move over. Because that's their spot. Because they froze. Something hurtful happened. Maybe God was trying to deal with them. Maybe God was trying to send them to the missions field. And they said, God, not today, not me. And they stepped out of community with God. And they stepped out of growing with God. And now they're frozen. And unfortunately, you know what? Churches are full of dead believers that are just frozen because God asked you to do something many years ago and you never did. The last one is appease. When we appease people, we give in. But normally it's not standing on our moral grounds. Um, we, the most easiest way we look at this is uh, in relationships. When we're pressured into, you know, having intercourse with someone. We appease them. I don't want to fight with you. And I, and I remember those conversations when I was single and, you know, living in sin. And, well, what's wrong? Do you think I'm not pretty? Well, no, I just have higher morals. You do think I'm ugly. No, I didn't say that. And we end up appeasing them. And all that is uh, our reactions to fear. But the one I want to focus on just right now, and I realize I'm oversimplifying that, so if you deal with fear, you know, we can talk afterwards. But I want to focus on the fifth response. When we're talking about fearing God, what happens when we obey? See, not all fear is bad. Fear is, you know, God created us to have fear. When I think I'm going to crash my car, fear comes over me and I react. And that's a great thing. Fear is actually designed by God to help protect us. It goes into our, you know, our animal instincts, if you will, to protect us. The Bible says this, we are new creatures in Christ. The old is gone. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if we are new and God says to give it all up to follow him, then why are we still holding on to our old identities? Because oftentimes that's what we're talking about. I'm still holding on to the way I used to be. Not my new identity in Christ. You know what? The disciples did this too. So like they're not off the hook. Um, when we think about um, in Easter time when Jesus died, well, the disciples went back to work. Like Jesus came back from the dead and found them fishing. And that's what we do. When God's not moving, we go back into those old patterns. Well, you know what? This is comfortable. I'm going to go hunting or whatever it is you're into, right? Those are our old patterns. So we have to make sure we catch ourselves. So I'm going to make a couple statements here. Healthy community will change us. We can't stop it from changing us. But the opposite is true too. Unhealthy community will also change you. And those are lies we often tell ourselves. Oh, I'm just, I'm helping them, or I'm just hanging out with them to help them. I can tell you as a parent, I fight with my kids over this fact. No, you're not hanging out with them. It's horrible, but they're popular. I don't care. It's not happening. So we're going to fight for our kids, but we won't fight for ourselves. That's why we're starting with self before we talk about our families. So how do you respond when God calls you? Do we press in? 
or do we run? See, I think oftentimes we struggle and we attempt to rationalize things in our mind. And I know I do this, maybe you don't, but I have like a laundry list of writing things out. And I have my ifs and what ifs, excuses, or if excuses. If only I had a husband, if only I had more money, if only my husband would act right, if only I had a different house, if only I lived in a different part of town, if only COVID wasn't going on. If only I had really close friends. If only I had really friends. If only I had a better, a better job. If only my leg didn't hurt. If only I wasn't fat. If only dot, dot, dot. You know, oftentimes we can focus in on our, if only then I would. But I'll tell you what, there's people filled in our world and in the Bible that if only didn't work because after they got what they asked for, life didn't change. They put in another excuse. In my opinion, the if excuses lead to self-pity. Life is only about my happiness. Kind of selfish, in my opinion. So on the other side of this, if only, if only I was a millionaire, I would give to missions all over the world. I would build us a brand new church. And I think about the selfish side of this just a little bit in our false sense of charity. The focus is on me. So God, if you give me what I want... And then you'll enable me to focus on you. But I'm going to tell you right here, God created all of us for a purpose. He has a plan for your lives, and it doesn't matter. Um, I was in, uh, in uh, Jamaica many years ago, um, probably about 20 years ago now, actually, and doing missions, uh, a short-term missions trip with a church I was attending. And we were in this nursing home. And I mean, when we were pulling in on the bus, you could smell it. Because this is third world country. You smelt the nursing home from the bus quarter mile away because they didn't have brand new sheets like our local nursing homes have. They took them outside, sprayed them off, and put them back on the beds. And there was one woman there that was a powerful woman. She was blind, but beautiful in the Lord. And you saw her radiant glow. So apart from the smell, apart from the situation, and you wanted to feel self-pity for her. But let me tell you, she was a powerhouse for God and she slammed her Bible in your face as you walked by and she made sure that you knew that God loved you. And it was her style, her way of doing it. But, it, but in that was beautiful because she didn't make the if excuse. She took it the other way. Well, if I'm here, I'm gonna do something and I'm gonna talk and what are you gonna do? I can't see your reactions anyway. You're gonna just walk on by. Oh, well, I'm still talking. She wasn't willing to allow that to be an excuse. On the other side of this, we say, what if? God, what if I can't? What if I can't get pregnant? What if my husband leaves me? What if I don't get a raise? What if COVID never ends? What if we lose this election? Ouch. What if the medical tests bring bad news? What if my child doesn't make the sports team or never play sports again because they just canceled it? What if I fail? See, these are based on fear. We create a worst case scenario and say, you know what? The mountain is too big. I can't climb up it. Instead, I'm going to avoid it. So I ask you, who's really in control? If it's God, then why don't we actually let him be in control? That's a quote from uh, Susan Yates. <laughs> so those are excuses stopping you from doing what you want. If you spend time with family, then you choose not to. Your choices are selfish. I've had a recent uh, conversation with my son who's 16, and, we're t and he's a very selfless son. You guys know Sam. Um, he would do anything for anybody. 
And we're actually having a deep theol- uh, theological conversation about loving others. Because Sam would love anybody. If you said you need something, you know, we, I went to pick up a deer for my dad and um, they wouldn't accept a check. So I'm like, okay, I need to go to the store. Sam's like, I have the money, dad. I have the money here, take it. And he's pulling in his wallet faster than I could, you know, even start the car. And that's Sam's heart. And if you know Sam, he has cerebral palsy. So it doesn't stop him. But what Sam doesn't do, Sam doesn't take care of himself. And so we're having this conversation about the greatest commandment, you know, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And I've been talking to Sam and trying to talk to him about, but Sam, how do you love others if you don't love yourself first? Dad, it's selfish to love myself. I can't do that. But you have to. Because if you, and we see this in the church all the time, if I'm so busy doing church stuff, someone may have a need. You know what? I'm too exhausted to even answer my phone. Click. It's a lie from the enemy. That's why Jesus worded it that way, right? In God's wisdom, it was worded that way. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have to love ourselves first and take care of ourselves so we can actually love our neighbor. And in this sense, we're talking about community. We have to love ourselves, take care of ourselves so that we can actually love our community like we're supposed to. Oh, I think a lot of times people struggle loving themselves because they're broken. I know uh, in, my, in my own life, many times I've served the church out of brokenness. And if I'm busy serving, I don't take the time to deal with my own garbage. And so we need to be aware of that. And I know in my life, I couldn't give what I wanted because I was truly broken. I remember being so poor that, you know, uh, there wasn't enough, even if I did tithe first, to pay all my bills. I remember I, I was uh, struggling financially. I went to a local church, um, this is many years ago, and I requested them to ask, I asked them if they'd pay for my electric bill or something like that. And um, part of their paying for an electric bill shut off was, we're going to sit you down and do a budget with you. And after we did a budget and there wasn't even money in there for gas and groceries, he said, so we have a problem here. The left side is greater than the right side. It doesn't equal. I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. That's why I'm here for asking for help. It's not that I don't want that. I don't know how to fix it unless if I get another job or work overtime or whatever. And I was salary at the time, so I couldn't. Like, I don't know what the answer is. That's why I'm here asking for help. So I couldn't use that as an excuse. See, when we, when we miss out on community, we isolate ourselves. Oh, I can't help you anyway. So I'm just gonna have self-pity and stand over here by myself. We want to pull you out of that, especially in our church, um, God's community, if we go bigger and global. We want to pull you out of that so you are involved. Uh, As adults, the other way that we deal with this brokenness is with our jobs. I mean, I know I did. As 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 adults, when we don't like our family, we don't have friends, our jobs become our community. And the only thing I want to say about that is this. Do you ever have to pay for a friend? If you think about it, you're getting paid to go to work. And if you're a boss, and I've had bosses that have done this, so you're my boss, you're paying me to be here, and kind of you're paying me to be your friend and your therapist, because anytime we're in a board meeting, you're telling me about all your problems, and dude, you need some friends, or you need counseling. But I'm just your employee. I'm here to do a job. And anytime we pay for a friend... Are they really a good friend? No, because their motivation is as thick as the paper you're giving them. 
So as adults, we want to be careful that we're not using our work as our only sense of community because it's going to fall short. Um, A lot of us aren't even working right now. Um, There's a stat here from uh, Harvard Business Review, and it says 26% of people leave their office feeling feeling that they've accomplished the task they set out to do. So one in four. So all the people that are like, oh, the bigger job, the better job, the own company, one in four people actually feel satisfied with their job because we're called to deeper community than just our uh, careers. But this is what the culture says about us. Stop wasting your time on people who treat you good one day, then act like they don't exist the next day. Do whatever the bleep you want. Don't just hurt anybody. Trust is a dangerous game. I'd rather adjust to your absence than be frustrated by your presence. Keep in mind, the more we value things outside our control, the less control we have. And the last one is a, is a song that goes like this. In the end, it doesn't even matter. That's what our kids, ourselves, when we go on Facebook or the radio or a movie, that's the message we're hearing every day. It doesn't matter anyway. We're here temporarily. So I don't want to just try. There are places for try. You want to try a new flavor of ice cream? Great. You want to try your wife's new cookie she just tried to bake? You take a small bite and you smile and please be honest. My wife uh, is a baker and she made a brand new chocolate chip cookie. Let me tell you, on the inside when it was warm, it was crunchy on the outside, soft and gooey on the middle. I'm like, this is good. And then I had another one after it cooled down a little bit and I said, you know what, this is not good. Because my wife bakes ahead of time, freezes them, and hands them out. And I said, you know what? This is going to be a hockey puck because it's just getting harder and harder and harder. So when it's freshly baked, yeah, it's crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. But if you wait, it's going to be nasty. And I love her enough to tell her that. And if you knew my wife, you would say, yeah, you better tell her the truth. That's who my wife is. But that's what we're talking about, relationships. All right. So God wants us to give all. And there's a song many years ago, because I'm old, 2004, Ray Boltz um, came out with a song that said, what if I gave all? And in the Bible, we're full of stories that someone gave all. And in, in, the, uh, in the story, he talks about a little boy, the song, um, you know, giving his $3 Christmas present or birthday present to the offering plate to the missionaries to give all he had. Or in the Bible, we read about a little boy giving his lunch, his packed lunch, to Jesus to feed the multitude. And ultimately, it ends with Jesus paying the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, God giving it all for us. So we're going to switch to family now, now that I have hardly any time left. Um, Romans 5.19 says this, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many were made righteous. You have the choice to make. You can be the one person that disobeys God and brings people to hell with you, or you can be the one person that obeys God, that brings the multitude with you. So we're transitioning to family. What about relationships? <sighs> you know, when I've, when I've gone through rough patches in relationships, um, I've gone through a divorce, I felt depleted. I felt 
Every ounce of me was gone because I gave everything. I've given everything to a person to the point where I made them my idol and then they rejected me. And I felt worthless. I felt like I didn't have value. And unfortunately for me, at that time, I was in an isolated place because I was giving them all my energy. I was giving them all my time. I was giving them all my gifts. I gave them everything. And when they rejected me, I believed I was as worthless as the sewer. And that's what happens in family if we're not careful. There has to be balance here. But I wasn't taking care of myself. I didn't have community outside my relationship. So when we fight hard for my family... We need to make sure it's not our job, that our family is not our idol. If we're taking care of ourselves, they're not going to be our idol. My prayer is that your family isn't, because it's going to put you in an unhealthy relationship with God. It's also going to put you in an unhealthy relationship with your family, because eventually, when you're putting your family on that pedestal, you're expecting something from them. You want them to perform. You want them to smile when they eat your rock hard cookie, or laugh when you give them a dry turkey or whatever you do. It's unrealistic expectations. That's why we put God first. And family comes after God. So the, pers- the principles relate to our spouses. When families break down, you know, when, and I, I counsel families all the time. Um, oftentimes, one of the common responses I get from a couple coming in for counseling is it's not like it was. When we were dating, oh, he opened the door for me, and, you know, we went out to eat all the time, and, you know what, he didn't watch football back then, and he only hunted two days instead of 14. Back then, I will just tell you that they didn't offer Sunday hunting either, and that hunting didn't start on that first Saturday way back then either. But we come up with these excuses. It's not the way it used to be. And if we're not careful, it never will be again. In our relationships, we have to be intentional. We have to be thoughtful and make an effort about whatever we're trying to do. What did we say our good intentions uh, definition was? Ideas that you plan for approval. So how many people sitting here today only do things for your spouse because it's just what they want? Not because, you know what, I have a deep desire to love them. And I do this because I love them. The difference there is one is surface. We want to know why our marriages aren't deep. Because I'm loving my wife surfacely. She likes Diet Pepsi. So I went to the store and got her a Diet Pepsi. So she wouldn't be cranky and have a headache. Ouch. Not because I love her and I want to give her something because I love her. And I was thinking about her. What's our motivation? We can do good things with the wrong motivation and expect that we're going to fix things or get deeper. It doesn't work that way. The church is the same way. All right. We're good with family then. We're going to jump into churches. And uh, Angel, I think, is going to go really deep in churches, but I just have a few things to say about our church community. So today in church, studies show there are four people sitting right here in our pews today. This is a survey by, by MOVE um, where they surveyed 1,000 churches. The first one is exploring Christ. You may be, just be a first-time guest or listening online. You don't even know who Jesus is. Yeah, you're in that category. You're exploring Christ. You don't have a relationship with them. You're just coming to church because someone invited you. Our second group is growing in Christ. You made the commitment, and you're just kind of filling it out to see where this is going. Number three is close to Christ. 
where we have a relationship with Christ, where we've grown with Christ, and we're really working on how close we can get. And the fourth one is Christ-centered, where we're actually living a life that reflects the image of Christ inside of us. Now, most of the time, and I'm on the board here at our church, as churches, we spend a lot of time, energy, and talents with the Exploring Christ group, because if they never find Christ, they can never join our community. The other group we spend the most amount of time on is the close to Christ. Those are the mature Christians that are mature, but not as close as they should be. Unfortunately, 40% of everybody in the room today is a growing in Christ. And as leadership and as management, that's what we're talking about. We miss out. That's the building disciples. You know what? I'm a believer and I'm trying to go deeper, but I'm struggling going deeper. Almost half. 40, 45% of every church across America, these 1,000 churches, most people are in that stage. And then we get frustrated because we ask for help and nobody volunteers because we didn't teach them to. So as a church, we've messed up. And this is globally, not just our church. We're doing a lot behind the scenes to help with that group. But I want to make sure that we're working on community as a church perspective also. So I want to go from, and in this group, I'm going to talk about how to get out of this group and go to the next level really quick. I want you to go from organized church activities to a central force that guides a believer's choices. See, as a church, we offer our chili cook-off, and we offer our trunk-or-treat event, we offer a, um, a dinner and a cookie exchange and all this stuff. Those are organized church activities to bring you into community with one another to build relationships, and that's normally where people stay. So how do we take it to that next level? See, we want to take it from an idea. And we want to turn, turn it into intimacy with God. But they say there are three catalysts to growing from intellectual, intimate, intellectual understanding to intimacy and relationship. The first one is confidence. You're like, hmm, they sound very unconfident. So how would confidence work? Confidence is crucial. How confident are you, and what is the confidence in? So you're a new believer. You should be the most confident person. You just, your life just changed. You're a new creature. As leaders and as believers, we need to tap into that confidence and not say, oh, well, you know what? This excitement will wear off. Don't worry, honey. Give it a couple years. No, we should be saying, yes, that's awesome. Give them another Mountain Dew. They need it. No, we should be um, honoring that. The second part of that is back to self and how we base our existence and purpose. They're trying to understand for the first time who their identity is. And we need to help them grow in that and understand that. The second part is personal spiritual practices. Reading the Bible, coming to church, doing those activities, but then taking it to a deeper level. So we're talking a Bible, having a daily devotion. How much time do you spend in prayer? coming to church? Do you really embrace worship? Do you understand what worship is? You know, there's different levels of worship. If you've ever sat in the back of our church or in the front of our church and looked back, you'll see people dancing. You'll see people crying. You'll see people lying. You'll see people jumping. You'll see hand raised, hands not. Sit down, stand up, turn around. There goes my mic. And that's really what our church is filled with. And that's okay. It's actually a beautiful thing because that's where everybody is. And we're all given the freedom to be there. You know, I sat down today and I bowled my eyes out. And that's where I was and I was allowed to be. 
That's intimate worship. The third is, uh, number three is going public. Who have you told recently about God in your life? You know, oftentimes this is how we grow. I'm a firm believer and I work uh, with people and getting jobs for my, my normal job all, every day long. And I find that oftentimes I learn by teaching. If I teach somebody how to fix a car, they're going to learn how to fix a car. And I'm going to learn better because I didn't think about that. And I got to come up with a creative way to do it. In the church, it's the same way. That's what discipleship is. That's why Jesus asked the disciples to come with him and said, hey, let's live life together for three years. And as we live life together, we're going to go deep and we're going to learn. Good. I'm down to the last page, so we're good. Uh, community as perspective. Oftentimes when we're in community, we think that, oh, it's just what's right here. But if you've ever traveled, I was, in a, uh, I was on a cruise, love cruising. Hopefully I can cruise next year. And I was in uh, Belize and I was on a very third world country bus going to a site in the middle of Belize. And I, I, there was filled with people that spoke in different languages, but Belize for the most part speaks English. But there was a couple sitting in front of us, and they were from Florida. I live in Pennsylvania. If I saw a Floridian on the side street, I would probably walk on by like, you're from Florida, dude. I'm from Pennsylvania. But in Belize, because we were both from America, I was like, okay, you're my friend. And we had a four-hour-long conversation. I gave them my cell phone. I take pictures. Like, I'm trusting you with $1,000 right now. Trust us there. You know, we see this happen also, and this is from uh, Simon Sinek. Oftentimes when we are our parents, we need a, a babysitter, right? So if we're going through the ad looking for a babysitter, we have this 14-year-old snot-nosed punk kid that's next door that just broke my window last week that I'm going to ask to babysit my kid. Or I can go through the, the pages and see that, oh, this person just moved here from California and they have 10 years experience. I'm going to choose the 14-year-old, Right? community. That's how we distort what real community is. And we say that community is actually what we're in connection with. It's those like-minded things, working together um, and building that up. Somewhere in the middle, hopefully we find focused energy to come together. Oops. So my definition of community there it is. Jumped around a little bit. I apologize about that. How do we build in our connection? How do we stay in intentionality? First of all, we have to find out what we're currently intentional about. And I use hunting because hunting season just ended. But when we see, you know, our hunters that spend hours in the woods before the deer come and hours in the woods after they come, they're intentional. They're intentional about how they clean their stuff. They're intentional about what they wash it in. They're intentional about where it hangs. They're intentional about what ammo they use and the grains. Like, I see hunting more as a hobby, so I'm not that kind of hunter. I pull my stuff out, I put it on, I go in the woods, and I try to shoot a deer. And that's really the way I hunt. I am not who you want to talk to about hunting. I talk to hunters, and I'm like, I know you're talking to me right now, and I have a gun too, but you're talking a different lingo because they're intentional. So we want to be intentional about what, with one another. We need to give that energy. We need to dig deep in our relationships. The way we stay intentional is we stay in the moment, live in the moment. 
if you're going to give them your attention, give them your full attention, not just your good intention. Stay in this time. You know, for such a time as this, you were placed upon this earth to give them your attention. And we need to listen. Not listen to respond, listen to actually hear what's going on to build that relationship. In Esther 4.14, we find this. For if you remain silent in this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish if you don't. We are each placed here for a purpose. We need to be sensitive to that purpose so we can tap into that. So I'm going to close with this. This, uh, in the last two or three weeks, uh, I, I've had to deal with um, death with three different people in my life. And, and interesting enough, as Mark was, uh, you know, spoke what he said, and I had to share the news with Mark this morning about, a, you know, a loved one that, that, that passed. You know, their family's on my heart heavy this morning. But it got me thinking, you know, death is the end of community. It's the ultimate end to community. And we all deal with death in different ways. And oftentimes we want to just think about the someone actually died death. But when a marriage dies, there's grief and mourning. When families are separated, there's grief and mourning. You really need to give time to allow that to take place and that healing to happen. Because we want to we think of only death is a real thing. So my question to you is, why do you hold on so tight when someone's in the end of their life, but every day you walk through life and act like they don't exist? And you may not do that, you know, good, but a lot of us do. A lot of us have loved ones that we haven't talked to in months, weeks, years. Um, I'm guilty as much as anybody. My dad lives a couple miles up the road. I'm lucky if I talk to him once a month because I'm too busy living life that I don't stop and make a phone call. Or I don't stop in just to say hello. And I'll tell you, um, COVID made that hard. Made it even harder than before. But, and I don't know, my, my math calculations, COVID was hard from March to about June. We took the summer off and we're hard again. So in June, July, and August, and September, did you call those people or go visit those people that you couldn't? Or did you say, oh, well, I'll do it when I get a chance? Good intentions kind of lying to ourselves about how much those good intentions really are or how much effort we actually want to make. If you're a Christian or a believer here today, you are the hope to someone else. You are their God-given appointment. As in my mind, I think as a death, when we think about death, we think of the frailty of life and how really frail we are and how we're not given any promises about tomorrow. Interesting enough, COVID-19 was supposed to be this big, huge, powerful thing that was going to kill us all. Now, it hasn't killed us all, but it made us think about it. So in our frailty, what are we doing with that? Are we pressing in? Because I'll tell you what, Right now, more people in the United States and the world are thinking about what happens after they die than they do any other day, any other time. And part of the reason ministers come up and they give a sermon or a eulogy, if you will, when someone dies is because people are more open to hearing about Jesus, hearing about the afterlife eternity when they're faced with death. 
And I have to think, as our nation is really thinking about death, where are the believers coming behind them and saying, hey, we have the answer. We have the hope. We have the peace. <laughs> it just is interesting to me that normally our media, and you know, you can mock, mock, knock our media if you want to, the only time they've post death, so it's a reminder to us, is when we're at war, and now, right now, during COVID. Most of the time, they keep death silent. It's in the newspaper, but you know what? You have to look for it. Right now, it's front and center. So utilize this time. We can sit back and say, oh, COVID is the worst thing ever. Or we can say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What can I do? What do I have my abilities? What's in my abilities? So we're just going to close with a simple prayer as, as uh, you know, we think about what, what God is teaching each of us today. Generally, Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord God, I thank you for your gift the gift of your son, Lord God, that we may spend eternity with you. But Lord God, I also thank you for everyday opportunities. Lord God, those opportunities that I have walked by, Lord God, and I didn't even think about. And Lord God, today, and I just pray that you forgive me. I pray for forgiveness of the opportunities I missed. And Lord God, I pray that I press in in the future opportunities. I pray that I press in and I take advantage of what you're doing, Lord God. Lord God, that I work on relationship with myself so that I am in right position, Lord God, to do your work in your kingdom. Lord God, I just pray a special prayer over everyone in our congregation today, Lord God, over our nation who's struggling. Lord God, who, who has had trust pulled from them and we're trying to put trust in you back there. Lord God, open up these doors for opportunity. Lord God, open up hearts, open up minds. Lord God, <laughs> I pray, Lord, that people that have been closed off because of past hurts, open their lid. Lord God, that we can speak love and give them the hope, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit and Jesus give. And uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.